Hey there, welcome to the Literary Escapes podcast. I'm Becky, and I'm glad you're here today. If you're a fan of books that give you an escape or let you explore other cultures, then you're definitely in the right place. So I'm glad you've joined us today. Stick around. We've got a great author interview for you. So let's jump right in. Yay. So ladies, we have Marjan Kamali. Is that, am, am I pronouncing your name right? I should have asked yeah. that before we jumped in and I apologize. No, that's totally fine. Yeah. Yay. We, this yeah. has been, let me grab my book here. This has been one of our favorite books this year. Wow. One of our favorite books that we've read. Yeah. And I really want to go read your first one now. So um, <laughs> Are they connected or not? Um, no, they're not. And, okay. and thank, you, thank you for having me, Becky, and everybody for coming. This is such a thrill. The two books are not connected. So Together Tea is a mother-daughter story. Okay. It's about a mother so obsessed with math, she makes spreadsheets in Excel to find her daughter the perfect husband. That sounds and like something I do, to be honest. <laughs> honestly, I'm on the verge of doing that myself. When I wrote it, it was many, many years ago, I wrote it as a farce, like the mother character was a little farcical. And over the years, I've turned into her. So I'm... <laughs> And I am so ready to make spreadsheets. I even told my daughter and she said, okay, do it. Do oh, that's it. so <laughs> funny. That's so funny. But so, they're not connected, no. Okay, okay. So before we jump into all the book stuff, so you were born in Turkey, but your yeah. parents are Iranian. And you've so you grew up in Turkey and Kenya and Germany and Iran and then moved to the US. Yes. That and is research. Quite... People get it wrong. That's exactly. <laughs> that is quite a uh, international childhood. Yes, it's a very international childhood. My dad was a diplomat, so when okay. I was born, they were living in Turkey. Both my parents are Iranian, but I was born in Turkey, and we moved every few years. Okay. So I'd lived in Turkey, Iran, Germany, Kenya, and the U.S. by the time I was 11. Wow, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a lot. Wow. I was curious about the timing of all of that. If your parents had left because of like one of the upheavals in Iran, but it doesn't sound like that's the case necessarily. Uh, no, I mean, my parents were overseas as part of my dad's career. So they didn't leave because of the upheaval. But the 1979 revolution, which is why we have most of the Iranian Americans we have today is because of that revolution. They came after that and the war okay. with Iran. Um, we were actually overseas when it happened. And we were one of the few people who went back after the revolution because oh, wow. Some of you may remember that time. At the beginning, no one knew how bad it would get. So it was considered a hopeful event. The dictator was out, the Shah, the Shah of Iran was out. Right. And so we went back. But then, then the Ayatollah came in, right? Yeah, yeah. Except it wasn't at the time predictable. Okay. We, we didn't know that it would become so fundamentalist so fast. Yeah. yeah. So then we left again. Okay. Okay. How interesting. Um, so having grown up like that, did you ever really feel like you belonged anywhere? I didn't. I really yeah, tried. I... <laughs> I mean, you can imagine. I wanted so badly to belong. Every time I've been in Iran, because I lived there between ages two and five, and then again, nine to almost 11. And throughout my life, I've visited yeah. Every time I'm in Iran, I'm the outsider. I'm the foreigner. Exactly. I'm the American. Yeah. And then in America, you're not I, American, you know, not, quote unquote. Yeah. Like people think of me as Iranian. And then as an adult, too, Becky, like part of what you said about the countries I lived in, I also, as an adult, lived in Australia and Switzerland. Oh, wow. Okay. So I've always felt like an outsider. But at the same time, I feel like it's a, it's a privilege, obviously, to have had this expansive experience. Right. And I've, I've grown to embrace my outsider status because I think it gives me a perspective that's definitely mm -hmm. helped me as a 
favorite writer. Yes, definitely. I I felt like your some of your characters, while they were Iranian growing up and living in Iran, in Iran they kind of felt like outsiders a little bit. I, I was, you know, like Rami, she fit all the right things, but she thought a little differently. And, you know, so it, it just, I was thinking about that this morning, wondering if, if because of your childhood, if that influences your characters, which I would think that it'd have to, I don't know. It truly does. I mean, every character in the stationery shop is made up. But at the same time, I think when authors say that their characters have nothing to do with them or their lives, they're lying, like maybe even yeah. to themselves. You always include parts of yourself and you how always- How can you not? How can you not, right? Yeah. Like it, it's just natural. And you include maybe composites or elements that, of people yeah. you- include. That would make sense, yeah. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. I was, that's really curious. So how did you become a writer? Well, as you mentioned, I moved a lot. So I was always trying to find a sense of home, but I didn't find it in a place. Um, I found it in reading. Mm. So wherever we were, as soon as I learned to read, I learned to read in Nairobi, Kenya. And I remember the moment it was a Richard Scarry book and I made out the word. <laughs> and, oh, I was how fun. and I ran to my mom who was in the kitchen and I said, this says barber and she, like, <laughs> jumped up and down with me. Um, but that, that was the beginning of a love affair. So I was always reading and in my mind, admiring what those writers could do. And then when we moved back to Iran, as I was mentioning, right after the revolution, which was a very strange time to move back yeah. to the country in absolute turmoil, um, the war started after we moved back in the summer. And by September, Saddam Hussein had invaded Iran. And I don't know if any of you remember that war, but it was an eight-year war between Iran and its neighbor, Iraq. And yeah. so... I was there for the first year and a half and we would go to the basement for the Man. moms. And my mom, because like any good mom tried to sort of distract us from the reality mm. of what we were living in. So she had stocked the basement with a lot of board games and books. And the books she had in English were all these classic British paperbacks. Like the huh. little pen. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, I spoke English, I read English because we had lived in Kenya, which was okay. a British, ex-British colony. So my sister, my oldest sister, in her attempt to make me, you know, not lose my English would make me read those books and write book reports. But that's <laughs> when I realized I wanted to be a writer because <laughs> I was so impressed by those authors and their yeah. ability to transport you. That's, that's awesome. I love that. And so did you write when you were younger or did you like go into it after another career or how did that go? I always wrote. I always wrote. I wrote bad poems. I wrote short <laughs> stories. When we moved to the U.S., I moved to New York City into Queens. And um, I remember one of my triumphs was in sixth grade I wrote a play that my teacher had the class perform I always wrote but I never thought it could be a vocation for me mm -hmm. because I was the children of immigrants and it was expected that we become a doctor or a lawyer right those yeah. were the three options available to us and it was very important that we rebuild some sense of financial stability in this country sure my parents had lost so much and a writer sad to say <laughs> it's not the shortest <laughs> way yeah you don't go into it to become rich I would assume <laughs> you do not do it for that reason and you don't do it for any kind of steadiness mm -hmm. but you know what it was always there and eventually I just pursued my dreams after many a detour that's neat okay and so how did you wind up in the New England the same way I've wound up in so many areas. First, as a child, it was because of my dad's job. 
then after I got married for my husband's job. Okay. So I've been the trailing spouse <laughs> for a majority of my adulthood. Uh, so we came to the Boston area because my husband got a job here and we had been living previous to that in Australia. So um, wow. I moved to the Boston area 15 years ago, which is the longest I've lived anywhere in my whole life. I would imagine. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Huh. Yeah. Wow. And ironically, I live where the American Revolution began, you know, so I think it's it's poetic and it's a beautiful sort of historic town. So I'm, I feel very connected to the history. I bet that's really interesting. Huh. In um, each month we read two different books that are set in the same location. And so our other book this month was a memoir and the author, um, it was in the seventies during the um, takeover by the Ayatollah and um, she was imprisoned as a 16 years old for being a political prisoner kind of thing. And so we learned a little bit about that time frame from that book, which is interesting that you were living there then. That's yeah, kind of hard yeah. to even imagine. It was a very traumatic time in, in the country's history and for everyone who experienced it. Yeah, and how old were you when, during that time? When the revolution happened in 1979, I was eight. Uh, I wasn't there. I went back after I turned nine. So okay. I went back when the revolution was less than a year old. Okay. I mean, so the, the aftermath. You might have noticed some of the educational changes that had taken place um, at oh, school. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I, it's, it's ironic. Like I look back now and I was there for all the transitions. So when my sister mm -hmm. and I entered Iran after you know the revolution in 1980, we were walking around in mini skirts and our summer dresses. And then while we were there, the laws changed mm -hmm. and they made all women, and by women, I mean anybody above the age of nine have to cover up head wow. to toe. Though in Iran, wow. the face is always visible. So that's a difference, but- okay. Um, yeah, it all changed. And then the books changed, literally, like they changed the textbooks. So they wow. changed the picture of the Shah from the first page of every textbook was gone. They had a picture of the Ayatollah. And in the in my first book, Together Tea, it is semi-autobiographical. Okay. So I cover that time period and I cover a lot of what we experienced in the schools. Okay, how interesting. Did, yeah, yeah, we were, we were asked to chant certain things we wow. had to pray it truly was um a religious fundamentalist takeover and they changed all the law yeah, yeah no and no one thought it could happen that's the other thing mm -hmm. that is scary no one no one thought it could happen in iran because up until then it had been so close to the u.s and very westernized mm -hmm. and then yeah that's what it sounded like so that's interesting hmm. so i don't know if it when did you when did this book come out and when did you write it so the stationery shop was published in june of 2019 that's okay. when hardcover came out okay and then paperback came out um in february of 2020 right before okay the so you would have been writing it like 2018 uh, it took me two and a half years to write the first draft and then an additional year to revise. So I wrote it starting in 2015. Okay. And I finished it in 2018. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've been reading some books lately, and I don't know if it's because of the times we've been living through the last few years or just, you know, just because we're noticing it more. Um, but it seems like there's kind of a grief slash healing theme that has been going through a lot of the books that we've read. And um, that's, I was curious about like the timing that you wrote it versus maybe the timing that we read it. And I, oh, was, yeah. was that you intentional or? Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is the first time anybody's mentioned to me the grief slash healing theme 
as a whole, like within the conversation of other books. It certainly was true for my book. I was writing it literally during the 2015 slash 2016 presidential campaign in the US. So when I was writing it, this country felt very divided. Mm -hmm. And we all remember that was a contentious kind of difficult campaign, right? First Mm -hmm. of all, it was never ending. And it just was uncomfortable. Certain things, Mm -hmm. you were women, like things came out. So I wrote this book, The Stationery Shop, as an escape from all of that. And yet, of course, I pursued grief and healing. So how interesting that other books written around that time also explored these themes. I think that's yeah. interesting. And they yeah. come out in different ways. You know, the, the grief of losing a child was in this one, and it was in one of the other ones that we read, and how the main character dealt with, or how the character dealt with that um, through their life. And just so interesting to see, you know, how after, how authors weave that in so beautifully because I mean I'm I'm guessing that everybody here has been touched in the last couple of years if not I mean if not throughout your life but at the very least the last couple of years you've been touched by someone who has been through something because it would I mean it's almost impossible to have not gotten out of the last couple of years unscathed in some manner you know so yeah, I think for uh, the nation as a whole, they've been a bit traumatic. I mean, even mm-hmm. if you weren't touched by it directly, it's not nice to know how divided we are. Yeah, and even, right? you know, like the pandemic, um, which is part of the division, um, obviously, in our country, you know, there's been so many people that have died or gotten sick or have repercussions from it. Um yeah, it's just hard to have not been touched by grief, it feels like. Yeah, and it's interesting to think of the books that, as you say, were being written around 2018. We were all, as authors, informed, obviously, by what was going on in our own country. At that point, yeah. Yeah, and no matter how we translated that, some of those themes come up. But I'm curious to see a couple of years from now, next crop of books I know yeah I'm curious it's funny because I heard somebody um they did a like a book review on Amazon about a book that they read that was set in 1920 or 2020 excuse me and the reviewer was rather scathing in the fact that the pandemic wasn't mentioned and it's like, so, you know, that was written, you know, like 2018, you know, something like that. And yeah. like, I'm not a fortune to, you know, I'm not, I, I, yeah. So <laughs> people are kind of funny with all of that. We'll see what happens because I mm-hmm. think with the 1918 flu, one repercussion was authors, artists decided not to talk about it. Wow. It, it was almost like a lack of it in the culture and part of that I think is because it was so traumatic and people were so sick of it and wanted not to be reminded of it and we're doing that again like if you watch television shows or certain films they are pretending it doesn't exist right like nobody's wearing masks no like and that's not our reality but they don't want to touch it yeah exactly Exactly. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that changes, but yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Mm -hmm. Um, We noticed, because we have people that live in different countries in our book club, we noticed that the title of the book is different in different countries. (laughs) How how does that happen? Or Oh, yeah. We had some guesses, but... Well, here's how it happens. In North America, so in the United States and Canada, it's called the stationery shop. When the UK was buying it, because those rights are different, separate from North America, Simon & Schuster UK insisted on calling it the stationery shop of Tehran. And I said no, mostly because I thought, why have different titles, even in English, right? Like that's so inconsistent. But they felt very strongly 
that for their audience, for their market, a sense of place was key. So they talked about, yeah, the beekeeper of Aleppo, you know, that yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. They convinced me, let's put it that way. Okay. And so in the UK, it's called the stationary shop of Tehran. And that's also the Indian market, which is okay. huge. This book is so big in India. I never wow. would have expected that. How interesting. Yeah. All my readers in the UK, in India, in a lot of the British um, Commonwealth countries, it's the stationary shop of Tehran. I believe That's it is. A, Elena is in uh, the Netherlands and uh, her, oh, she got the, that copy of it. So. Okay. So in the Netherlands, I have behind me some of the foreign editions. <laughs> in the Netherlands, it's Der Buchhandel von Tehran. So it's, I think, the <laughs> bookshop owner of Tehran. I did read it in English, but I'm sure it, it's called in Dutch, uh, the Buchhandelaar uh, of Tehran. I'm sure yeah. of, uh, that's the name. Yes, <laughs> that is the name. And it has obviously a different cover. Every country has a different cover. If I were to tell you some of the foreign editions that are not in English, what some of the titles are, you would be so surprised. Yeah. In Poland, it's called The Scent of Saffron. How curious. That has nothing to do with this That book. has nothing to do. <laughs> but again, they said for our audience, they associate that with Iran. Huh, um, okay. Yeah. And it's out in, it's out in Israel, it's out in Turkey, it's out in so many languages that just, blow me away so they all have their own titles do your books get translated into iranian do they go into that market so stationary the stationary shop has been translated into persian and okay here's the thing with that is so many books published in the u.s get translated into persian and get sold in iran but because of the sanctions it mm. can't be done in the official manner that the other translations are done. For every other country, there's a contract that we sign, there's official terms with Iran because of the sanctions, we can't do any of that, but they go ahead and they translate. So it's okay. like, they just kind of do it. Kind so of yes, piracy it, almost? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. And that it is in Iran now, it's okay. in person. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that because on yeah. the one hand, it feels like piracy. Right. On the other hand, I'm glad that, you know, the people there can read it because the people there are not responsible for the yeah. absurdity of the piracy and all of yeah, that. Yeah, the rules and, yeah, exactly. How interesting. Wow. That's, thank you. Yeah. At the, at the beginning of the book, you have a quote by F. Scott Fitzgerald. They slipped briskly into an intimacy from which they never recovered, which I thought was really perfect for the book. And I was curious, is that one that you chose or did the publisher find it or? No, I chose it. I okay. chose both, both the um, epigraphs because okay. I read that sentence from F. Scott Fitzgerald and I remember thinking, that's the next book. Wow. That okay. encapsulates the next book. I read it. So you did you find the quote prior to writing it or after yeah. you had okay? Wow. Okay. Prior to writing it. But in that stage of time when I'd started to think about the next book. So mm -hmm. my mind was open. It was to already that. percolating. Yeah. Yes. How interesting. Exactly. I love that. Okay. Because I've not paid that much attention to the quotes at the beginning or anything like that typically but when oh, I was going back through it I'm like over them well, now I'm gonna have to you know I'm, I'm gonna have to now so I love that um and and like I said I, I just thought that was perfect so um settings you obviously use Iran has been a big one um for you California New England <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know the first book, um, but I think it's similar-ish settings, correct? Similar setting. First of all, I always do dual settings because 
or more because I can't stay in one place. Hmm, I wonder why. Like if I <laughs> yeah, exactly. An analyst. Yeah. So I can, I can never be in one location alone for these books. The first book is set in Iran and New York City. Okay. Okay. Nice. Because it's semi autobiographical. Because because I I that's where you've been. Yeah. In New York. Yeah. Yeah. So are you? You know, you've been to a lot of other places. Are they going to be cropping up in some of your future books potentially? I hope so. I really do. Because, you know, even though I, I obviously feel a connection to and fascination with Iran. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I do, quite frankly, is because I wasn't there. Because my mm -hmm. parents grew up there. And the country they grew up in is so different Not from the country today. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, I'm fascinated by mm -hmm. the country grew up in which is why I set my books in the past but I am connected personally to Australia and to some of the other countries I've lived in I hope I can in the future I would love to especially cool. Australia yeah that would be neat yeah are your parents um in Iran still or no 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 my okay. parents so we left when we left when I was okay in the 70s there. okay early 80s early, early 80s. 80s okay and then um they're still in queens in new york city okay okay nice yeah. that's close close enough huh oh yeah i'm there a lot i bet a yeah that's a <laughs> probably a train ride pretty easy so yeah it's not far from boston it's about four Good. hours yeah that's not bad yeah that's nice yeah. okay that's i was curious about that one too just yeah, that would be hard if they were still overseas, you know, in, oh, yeah. in some of that. So, yeah. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Well, I'm working on the third novel, which is currently called Novel Three. <laughs> That's a clever title. That's a great title. Um, and, you know, after I finished the stationery shop, I swore that I would write a book next that wouldn't span so many decades because as you all know the stationery shop spans 60 years and that was kind of hard to do in two countries so I said okay the next book is going to take place like in one year maybe one month even and it's going <laughs> to be place. so of course the next book takes place over 40 years and You're getting um, better <laughs> better yeah it started off 70 I shortened it but yeah and it's Iran and the U.S. yet again. Again, so okay. This time, okay. it's a friendship story, and I don't know if you know this, but I write a lot of the first draft of each book by hand. I mean, you can imagine if I wrote a book called The Stationery Shop. I'm a fan of stationery. I yeah. love, stationery. and I'm old school. Like I, I love to write by hand. So I, I literally oh. have ink wells on my desk. Oh, it's cool. From which I write the books, and then for each book I have a notebook. So this is, it's all here because this is where I work. This is the notebook for the third book. It's that little awesome. Okay. Yeah, and so I've started, but I'm in those early stages where it's just like lots of scribbles and. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. What I'm a very much. I like writing by hand as well. It's uh, there's something about the connection between the brain and the hand. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I, I believe it creates a different texture mm -hmm. in the writing. Yeah, it's very different than just typing on a keyboard or even speaking. It's um, yes. different connections in the brain. So very true. Yeah. Very cool. And so um, this one is a book about friendships set in Iran and the U.S. yet again. Okay. My mom keeps saying, when are you going to stop writing about Iran? <laughs> It's just, What's the year know. time frame um, in the so Iranian this, part? This one, they're children in the 50s, and then they're okay. young women in the 60s, and then nice. it takes okay. them through the 70s. So 50s, 60s, and 70s, which honestly, 20th century Iran to me is very fascinating because the country changed so much. Mm -hmm. It became so modern and western and then it had this and then it huge was. backlash with the revolution yeah 
But leading up to that, it's fascinating to see how those changes affected women particularly. Um, mm -hmm. They were so fast paced. Um, yeah, there, I mean, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, while women over here were, you know, not allowed to vote, not allowed, you know, there was so many, you weren't allowed to have a credit card, I don't think, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know, it almost feels like women in your in Iran were already beyond that kind of stuff, maybe, but then yeah. they kind of flipped that way. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, they had the right to vote pretty early for, I guess, a country in that region, but really any country. Yeah. They had the right to vote before women in Switzerland did. But then they progressed so fast. And quite frankly, my opinion is there was a backlash because certain people, particularly in my opinion, men didn't yeah. like it. And the guys, then they yeah, the folks back. who are in power, they don't want to lose their power. And we've we run into that in this country as you can as you have seen. So yep. Yeah. And it's, it, uh, I think for me, what fascinates me is how you can make so much progress but lose it. You can lose it. Yeah. And I think um there was a sense of complacency in the cities in Iran. I'm not saying everywhere, not the villages, but in the cities with the professional classes who were educated, they couldn't imagine that they would go backward so fast, but they did. But they and did. They, yeah. How frightening. Mm -hmm. And it's um, the other book that we read, it, she as soon as she was able to get out of prison and then get out of Iran, she wound up getting eventually to Canada and right, stayed yeah. there. And yeah, Iranians in Canada. Yeah. yeah. And just so curious and so sad that that's kind of how it has to be for so many. And yeah, and you know, a lot of people didn't want to leave. I would imagine. I mean, that would be hard. It wasn't like a delightful choice. It was just the circumstances became most people I know left because they just they wanted their children not to, you know, to have the opportunities. And it's it's the opposite of the trajectory you're used to, where my mother had more rights wow. as a girl and a young woman than I would have had, mm -hmm. you know. Um, that would but have been hard to watch. Name? Yeah. Yeah, it's very disheartening. What was the name of that book, if you remembered? Yeah, Let it's me... um, The Prisoner of Tehran. Oh, okay. I'll look that up. Yeah. yeah her name is um, Marina Namat, N E M A T. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a popular last name. Yeah. Okay. It was a really good book. I was. A little nervous to uh, recommend it for our book club because mm -hmm. I try to find books that are, if not a happy ending, at least hopeful. You know, I don't want there's so many book clubs. The books they choose are you know like the literary fictions, and they just gut you as you know they just yeah. leave you. They're very depressing. Very you know, I don't like that. I don't want to read that, and so we don't do that. And so I was a little nervous about. The prisoner of Tehran, just the name of it was yeah, like just the name. Oh, <laughs> so, hey, another of Tehran, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but it a was a really, of, really good book. Well, I will look that up. And you know, a lot of books written about Iran tend to be heavy mm -hmm. and tend to focus on the trauma, which is why in Together Team, my first book is considered like kind of a comedy. And and yet there's revolution and war. And I'm very proud of it because it's considered more lighthearted and funny and fun and I did it on purpose because yeah. I was so tired of the books about Iran being heavy heavy but then in yeah. stationery shop stationery shop's pretty darn heavy so I I did it myself <laughs> well but it's hard you know I mean there's some countries that you know in what I do it's hard to find books that are lighter that are yeah. set in certain countries and um, so I was grateful to find even the stationery shop. I mean, for the topic that it is, it was a great book and it yeah. always felt Thank hopeful. You. So 
Yeah, I wanted it to be hopeful and I wanted it to be healing mm -hmm. because Roya goes through healing. Yeah. So ideally it would be slightly cathartic. Even not at all Iran related is the fact that she had this unfinished business with a person from her past yeah. that had haunting her. And she gets the gift so many of us don't get, which is she gets to be with him and have a sense of closure. Right. Yeah. Leslie says it was really, it was such a great book, beautifully written. Yeah. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah. It was, um, it was lovely. I, um, we were concerned about the ending, about how you were going to go with it. <laughs> Every, I think everybody was like, they were pleased with how you how you did the ending. So well done. Good. Were you worried that Roya would leave Walter? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Was. I and I hear you. I didn't want her to leave Walter because yeah. And even though Walter's not the love of her life, he was also the man that was in her life. So. Yeah, and you know, I think it's easy for Roya to idealize this relationship from when she was mm -hmm. so very young, particularly because it was interrupted. And who's mm -hmm. to say what would have happened if they stayed together? It wouldn't have exactly. had idealistic. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think she loves Walter very mm -hmm. much. Walter mm -hmm. loves her, but just it's just different. We have maybe different loves that come into our life at different stages. Absolutely, yeah. And as you mature, you want and need different things in life and out of love and out of your partner maybe. And it seems yeah. like, you know, her relationship with Baman, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Was very um, kind of roller coastery almost, very emotional. And it was it was very emotional so it was exciting but incredibly yeah. uh chaotic in a way and i really wanted to explore mental illness and bahman's mother yeah. would, would have always been in their relationship for better mm -hmm. or for worse perhaps not through any quote-unquote fault of her own but that was something that definitely got in the way. And had they stayed together, would always be present. Would always have been there, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's hearing her backstory was just <laughs> <laughs> that was such a twist. I <laughs> I've told this group before that I mean it's hard to surprise me a whole lot in books. And I love it when an author can surprise me. So thank well, you. I'm so for... glad I did. <laughs> you, you definitely did. And it was so, so interesting, the different paths that you went down and where your mind went with the story. It was so, so clever and interesting and well put together. So that was thank a lot you. of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, her character is in a way my favorite character to write because she took over. Um, she started off as the archetype of a mean mother-in-law, you know, the stereotype, right. overly possessive of her son, thinking he walks on water. There's a lot of Iranian mothers like that, let me tell you, who are obsessed with their sons. And um, as I wrote her, though, I realized I don't want her to be that stereotype. I, mm -hmm. I want more depth to her. And then as her backstory developed, for me too, as a writer, mm -hmm. I realized I really want to explore mental illness because I think it's on a spectrum where the, the people who you know have a mental illness, they're diagnosed, they're treated. And then on the other end, there are people who are very high functioning, but they mm -hmm. suffer from a condition yeah. that is not diagnosed and may certainly not treated at that time in Iran. And it causes such great harm to the people they love and to themselves. Yeah. And it's yeah. so sad. Yeah, it was such an interesting, she wound up becoming a really interesting character. And it, it sounds, it sounds like you're more of a plot, 
plotter versus a, no, a pantser versus a plotter. Is that? Um, I'm a pantser versus a plotter. So a lot of that first draft is written by the seat of my pants. Okay. And the first draft is written that way. But then it's almost like I switch personalities. And when I go into revision, I become plotter. And then then it's very meticulous. I want it to be tightly woven and for it all to kind of make sense. So I change the order of things a lot. But the first draft, heaven help us. Because most (laughs) days it's like, I don't know, what's going to happen? No clue. Where are we going today? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. And it takes how long to typically write that first draft? Well, for the stationery shop and for this third book, um, it's about two and a half years for the first draft, two and a half years. We won't even talk about together tea. I mean, you're going to be, I mean, honestly, you're going to be shocked that first draft took me 10, 10 years. Okay. Now, in the meantime, I took six years off entirely. So I feel I shouldn't count those because I had kids and I couldn't do it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the first draft let's say now takes two and a half years. And then I really take my time with revision. It's another year. And sometimes I know that frustrates people in the industry who are waiting for something from Yeah, me. yeah. But you know what? I just, I'm a, I'm such a perfectionist. Yeah, I, I just want it to be cooked. I don't want to send it out too soon. And I fuss over it a ton and you know, it takes a lot. It's, I'm slow. It takes a long time. That's okay. Yeah. The end result seems to be worth it. So. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, once it's done, there it is. Like, then I don't get to go back and you don't get it. to do anything to it. Once it's done, it's done. Yeah. 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 So um, how much influence does like the publisher, editor, whomever have in changes that are made? You know, typically when you're being published by the big five, so in the United States, we're down to five publishers, big publishers, and then they each have many, many imprints. Yeah. And soon it may be four because Simon & Schuster, rumor has it, is going to be sold to Penguin Random House. Wow. When you are in the big five, which I am, you have an agent. And so the first draft typically goes to your agent your agent chimes in with some notes and you may or may not agree. So, you know, sometimes I agree with certain things. I'm like, you're right. Yeah, that makes sense. Other times I'll push back. I'll say, nope, she's not going to have another daughter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then once the book is sold to a publishing house, um, there's an editor there. And then your editor also (laughs) chimes in and might make, not just tiny edits like, oh, you said very too much, but they might make more big picture comments. Like with my first book, the editor had a five page scene where the two young people were against a tree. And she said, you need to make that 15 pages long, slow it oh. down. So that's a challenge. You have to, wow. like, you know, things like that. Or I had a lot of stuff where my main character was traveling throughout Iran and going to its famous cities like Isfahan and Shiraz. And let's face it, it was based on my own travel. So I went on and on. And then she said, "Mm, we don't need 60 pages of that. (laughs) So so you get told things like that. Okay, okay, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. It's it's gotta be hard when you're so invested in it to know it is you hard. want to share different things with the audience and to be told it's not necessary. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the, I'm sure you've had these chats with your other authors. We all have to be very mercenary and certain scenes get deleted. Mm-hmm. But as yeah. I tell my writing students, they'll always live on in your laptop. So That's right. <laughs> and maybe they'll pop up somewhere else who knows yes, you never know and <laughs> you're ever, the for it for writing them do you ever um like for your email list or something like that do like secret scenes or something like that that oh that's a good 
point. No, I never, I've never done that. That might be kind but of fun. I, I think so. I do little Easter eggs that for the longest time, no one but me would notice, but I think now more people notice. So for example, in this third book, which is again, nothing to do with the stationery shop or together tea, I do toward the end have the character go to a stationery shop and buy something from a Mr. Fackery, right? Uh-huh, so okay. readers will now know that. And something else I did between the first and second books is the housekeeper is the same, oh. but I'm pretty sure no one but me noticed that. So. Okay, that's kind of fun though. That's neat. Yeah. Now, now people are going to be like, <laughs> yeah, to go, yeah fun to things pay like attention that. to that. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. I like that. Okay. So what authors do you read? Oh, gosh. Um, There's so many authors I read. So as you know, I was kind of, I feel like the cake was baked with those classics that I read. And sometimes I feel the books you read as a child um, almost inform your style the most. Yeah. Because they are part of your, your DNA. But now I read a lot of contemporary fiction. And when I moved to the US, I was guided by great teachers, you know, English teachers in middle school and high school who, who told me all about contemporary American writers. And I was introduced to people like Toni Morrison. Um, and I love Anne Patchett. Yeah. Yeah, I try yeah. to read whatever I can of hers. And, and there's just, a great crop of new writers out there like Mary Beth Keene. I love her Ask Again, Yes. It's a beautiful book. Nice. Um, and I get sent a lot of books that haven't been published mm-hmm. in order to blurb them. Right, yeah. So um, it's exciting because you you get to see what's coming what's out. What's coming up, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's fun. That's a, that's a gift to be able to take a peek at some new stuff and new authors and yeah exciting. it's nice it's nice because it's people no one's heard of yet <laughs> exactly exactly and if you can help introduce them that's always pretty exciting so definitely try to help them because I remember when my first book was being published Eleanor Lipman agreed to read the galley copy you know okay out in order to blurb it Nice. And she blurbed it and she didn't have to do that. That makes did. a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. So That's I'm always cool. so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alina had asked um, if you speak Farsi. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I do. I do. Yeah. I speak it. Okay. Yeah. She, and I assume, you know, that's probably what you grew up with, potentially that in English and yeah, so because I didn't really live there, um, again, between ages two and five and nine to almost 11, but in, in our house, wherever we were, my parents spoke Farsi to us. Okay. So I grew up speaking Persian to them, and to this day, I speak it to them. Okay. But what was funny is my sister and I spoke English to each other. Hmm. So That's interesting, dinner, yeah. Yeah, we were always speaking both. So, you know, at the dinner table... mother would say pass the salt in Persian to me and I would respond in Persian to her but then I would speak in English to my sister (laughs) to this day how it is that's interesting yeah Yeah. and do your children speak Farsi or Persian so I have two children and they obviously were born and raised in the U.S. yeah except for that little Australia part but my daughter speaks it okay it's a miracle of God because Lord knows we didn't speak it to her. Sadly. <laughs> sadly. That's cool. What a gift um, though for her to, to have that. She pursued it. That's she cool. pursued it herself. And when she was little, you know, we took her on Saturday mornings to her, to the Persian language classes in Boston and she had the desire. And so she speaks it. Okay. Writes it, but my son doesn't. Isn't that strange? Nicole lives in Norway and she said that in her household it's Dutch, Norwegian, and English. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. 
Did you learn to speak any of the other languages as, as you traveled or, I mean, there's a lot of English speaking ones in there, but. Um... Yeah, so I learned to speak German when I was in Germany and then I sort of got re into it when we were in Switzerland because I lived in okay. the German part of Switzerland, German speaking part and um, used to be fluent in German. Now I'm forgetting so much of it. And I was you don't use it, you lose it, don't you? You lose, yeah, exactly. I've lost so much. I used to be also fluent in French just because that's what I studied at school. Okay. And um, I used, you know, a lot of Iranians, their second language that they learned in school was French, not English. Okay. Up until a certain time, I would say maybe up until like the 60s. So my grandparents and my parents learned French in school, not English, okay. but that too is being lost. So yeah, <laughs> times change, huh? Jeez. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such thank a pleasure. You. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Thank you, Becky, yeah. for your great questions. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. It's been a it's been a treat to talk with you. So how can people stay in touch with you? What's oh. the best ways to find you? Yes. Oh, gosh, please. Um, if you wish, you can find me on Instagram. Awesome. OK, well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank so you, everyone, much. for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone. Have I'll a good rest of your day, ladies. Thanks for joining me today on the Literary Escape podcast. If you enjoy hearing the behind the book story, then join me in the Literary Escape Society. We're a community of travelers who love books, or maybe book lovers who love to travel. Either way, if you need an escape, a literary escape, come join us as we read our way around the world together one book at a time. Check out the show notes to learn more about the Literary Escape Society. And we'll see you next time on the next episode.